So I'm going to go ahead and pray. <clears throat> God, our Father, Lord, we are so thankful for who you are, God. Indeed, you are the maker of all things. Oh, Lord, we do praise your holy name, and we thank you for your glory and your power and your majesty and your dominion. Oh, Lord, we, we thank you that you are indeed in control of all things. Lord, that you are bringing everything in your creation to an expected end. And that, God, you have given us great hope through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. We thank you, Lord, for the precious blood of Jesus, which washes away all of our sins. God, we do thank you and glorify you and praise you. Lord, we, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this passage in Ephesians, which teaches us how a wife ought to respect her husband and everything and how a husband ought to love his wife, even with the same love that Christ has for his church. We pray, Lord, that you would give us divine insight into this mystery, that you would open our eyes and help us to see clearly what these things mean to us and how they apply to our life. And God, we ask for strength that you would help us and strengthen our faith to apply these things to our life, that our marriages might glorify you, Lord, that our marriages might uh, reveal to a lost and dying world the glory and the majesty of the Christ church relationship. We pray, Father, that you would just continue to sanctify us and do your good work in us by and through your Holy Spirit and your word. And we pray, Lord, that our marriages would be holy even as you are holy. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of looking into these things, and we thank you for the privilege that we have to gather here and to freely proclaim your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. I just wanted to point, point out to you uh, a couple of really good websites where you can find some good reading material. And um, these are uh, Soli Deo Gloria books, which is sdgbooks.com. And then also the bannerofTruth.org is another one. And then also uh, WTS Books, which really is Westminster Theological Seminary Bookstore. And uh, they have a really packed website full of good books. But, uh, and I think it's WTSBooks.com, but it might be .org. I couldn't quite remember. So I uh, wanted to point you to those websites. There's some great stuff you can find there to, uh, to read. And uh, so with that, I guess we'll go ahead and get started here. Okay. We are back in our study of Ephesians and in chapter 5. And um, last week we got through verse uh, 25. So we have gotten through chapter 5, verse 25. And we'll be picking up today in chapter 5. Um, verse 26. And the other thing is, I gave a new number 48 this morning that's actually going to replace the old 48 that you had. And it's really important because I added a whole lot of stuff to it. So um, the top of the new 48 starts with the letter B and says, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. So if you don't have one of those, you need one. 
Okay? And, uh... Does that mean the old 48? The old 48 is no. Okay. Obsolete. Okay? With that, I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 21. And I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies, He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, Each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Amen? Okay. So just to give you a little bit of review, we were looking in the last two weeks, we've been looking at verse 25, which says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I was saying how it's so common for us just to read right by a scripture like that without really stopping to consider what is being said. And specifically in this passage, of course, it's, a, it's an imperative. It's a commandment to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives. But look what it says when it says, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so there is this question. How is it that Christ loved the church? And you see, if we're not careful, we just read right by that and we think, oh, well, I'm supposed to love my wife like Christ loves the church. Without really giving it any thought, being mindless about it and stopping to consider the wisdom of God in this commandment to the husband. Consider the perils that have come upon the marriages in the church. Because the husband has not stopped to consider this profound statement. That he is to love his wife just as Christ also loved the church. And, and again, as we've been looking at for two weeks now, uh, we've been talking about what does that mean. We have stopped, if you will, to consider what it means for a husband to love his wife just as Christ also loved the church. And so with that, we were looking at what does the love of Christ for his church look like? What are its characteristics? What, what, are, what is the nature of the love that Christ has for his church? 
And so we came up with just a few examples that kind of categorize his love. And the first one is, of course, that Christ's love is sacrificial. Christ has a sacrificial love for his church, even in this verse where it says that he gave himself up for her. Christ sacrificed his life for his wife. He gave up everything he had for her well-being. And this, the Bible says, is how a husband is to love his wife. He is to give up everything that he has for her well-being. Amen? And this is one of the most profound things about the love of Christ. That it, it stops at nothing for the benefit of his wife, of his bride, the church. That he would even give his own flesh and blood for her and for her well-being and for her joy and for her benefit. To this he lived and died. Amen? So we've been asking the question, does that describe you as a husband? Is it that you are living and dying for the benefit and the well-being of your wife? Well, husbands, if you're a Christian and you desire to obey the word of God, you should be. Amen? Why? Because we're to love our wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Amen? And looking at this love further, we described it as a gracious love. That Christ loves his church even though she is not deserving of his love. That his love gives favor to her, even though she has not merited it, right? So when we talk about grace, we talk about unmerited favor. And we say that God extends his grace to those who are undeserving, right? Well, so it is with the love of Christ. He has loved his bride, the church, even though she has not merited his love. On the contrary, the scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. How much more then should the love of a husband be gracious toward his wife? And, and grant her a favor which she does not deserve. Why? Because she is his wife. She is one flesh with him. She is a fellow heir of the grace of life. Amen. And, and so... You know, if you sit down in the counseling office in marriage, there's no room for this kind of a thing out of the husband's mouth. Well, she's done this and she's done that and she does this and she does that. And because of all those things, I'm very displeased. Because the scripture is calling that husband to love his wife with a supernatural love. A love that he cannot manufacture inside himself. A love that he cannot live out apart from the power of the Holy Spirit living in him. And granting him that supernatural strength of faith to love his wife in this way. And to sacrifice even his own needs and desires to love her and treat her with this same love that Christ has for his church. Amen? The wives have been commenting to me that <clears throat> I'm coming down real heavy on the husbands and that I didn't do that to the wives. And uh, <laughs> uh, well, here's the whole point. You know, it's not me. This isn't my word. I'm just a Bible teacher and I'm trying to expound on what God has said to you, the living God. 
the king of the universe, the maker of all things, the one who holds your life in his hand and gives you your next breath. He's the one that says a husband is to love their wife even as Christ loved the church. Okay? And we are going to talk some more about the wife's role when we get to verse 33. Okay, and I also wanted to tell you that I am going to be dealing with the topic of divorce and remarriage before we, before we end. I won't get there today. But uh, I, I will be talking about what the Bible has to say about divorce and about remarriage as separate topics. Uh, so looking at this love that Christ has for the church, I wanted to keep reminding you that there is no possible way a husband can live up to this kind of a calling apart from divine power which comes through faith in Christ. The calling is too high, okay? But listen, God would not command us to do something we are unable to do. So if we're unable in our natural strength to do this thing and to possess this divine love, then God must grant us that power. God must grant us that strength. And so it is with all of the Christian life, is it not? In order for us to live and walk even as Christ walked and live a life of love and be an imitator of God, therefore, as it told us in chapter 5, verse 1, we must be empowered by the Spirit of God. It's the only way it's going to happen. Amen? Uh, So I just want to keep reminding you, should you feel like this is a heavy burden on your back that you cannot carry... That's a good thing that you recognize how high and how holy that calling is of God. And you see it accurately. And in your own strength, it would be a burden that you could not carry. But look, we can do all things through him who strengthens us. Amen? How much more a husband can love his wife with the love of Christ if Christ is in him? And it is his chief desire to manifest that love to her. Amen? And so the love of Christ is patient and the love of Christ is kind and the love of Christ is meek and gentle toward his church. And the love of Christ is sincere, we talked about. That it's not just a facade, it's not just a mask, but it's something that really genuinely lives inside his heart. And how you as a Christian husband, if you don't have a genuine love inside your heart for your wife, you're never going to live out this commandment. Because it's not there to empower you. It's not a real and living thing inside your heart. Love must be sincere, the Bible says, Romans 12:9. Amen? It must be, in another translation, without hypocrisy. Love can't be that which is only on the outside, but not really dwelling inside. That's a perversion. Amen? So that that love wherewith you treat your wife, it should be an overflow of what's inside your heart. Amen? And again, when we were talking about that last week, I was telling you this isn't a love you can manufacture. The word here for husbands love your wives is the word agapeho. It's a, it's a verb, to love, Right? To love with what kind of love? The agape love of God. The kind of love we've been describing. A love which is sacrificial. It gives of itself. It's gracious. It gives to those who don't deserve. It is patient. It is kind. It is gentle. It is sincere. And here it is also selfless and serving. 
and we talked about how Christ washed the feet of his disciples. And how I was telling you, uh, that was the night uh, which Christ was betrayed by Judas. You remember, at the Last Supper. And Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples. Do you remember that? He says, this command I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, right? The part we forget is, is that they just got done having an argument about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. You recall that? And in comes the master with a towel and a bowl and bows down and washes their dirty feet. You see the kind of love that Christ has for his church? In the midst of their arrogant pride, he is down there in the dust washing their feet, cleansing them from the filth of the world with his divine love, which is serving, which is selfless. You see that? You see that picture of the love of Christ there in John 13? It's beautiful. And that's the kind of love that the Bible is calling a husband to have for his wife. You see, the minute we start focusing on ourselves in marriage, we have a recipe for disaster. We have a recipe for destruction. A husband can't love whose heart is full of selfishness. He can only love if he has the selfless love of Christ, the agape love of God living in him. You remember in 1 Corinthians 13, everybody loves the verses that say, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. It is not self-seeking, right? Rather, instead, it seeks the benefit of the other. Amen? That's the kind of love we have to possess. And then at the end of our class last week, we were talking about the fact that love is a choice. That love isn't something you fall into. You're not just walking down the street one day and you meet your wife and all of a sudden you fall into this divine agape love. Are you with me? There's a better English word for that. We call that infatuation. Okay? You fall into infatuation because your wife has certain features of attractiveness that infatuate you and cause you to be very emotionally moved toward her. You with me? That's not love. Now, I was trying to explain that in other languages, there's a lot of different words that describe these different kinds of emotions. Like, for instance, and we're all familiar with the idea of, of the Greek, that there are actually three different words for the English word that's translated love. Right? And those words are agape and eros and phileo, right? But each one of those has a real different meaning. The word phileo has the meaning of the kind of love that's involved in a friendship. There is a real brotherly love, if you will, right? The city Philadelphia comes from the word phileo, the city of brotherly love, right? Phileo is a is a brotherly friendship type of a love. And then there is the love which is called eros which is where we get the word erotic. And it has to do with a very sensual, sexual type of a love, right? And, and yet in the Greek, these are different words. But in the English, we translate them all with the same word love. And then there is, of course, that third word love, 
which is the, the, the kind of love that describes the love of God for his church, which is the word agape. This is a selfless, sacrificing kind of a love, the kind of love we've been describing, and the kind of love that husbands are called to here in this passage. So remember that this love that you uh, are being called to by God as a husband is a love that he is asking you to fulfill by your will. He's saying by your action, husbands, love your wives, right? This isn't something that just you just trip into and you fall into it. This is something that you learn how to do. It's something that you commit yourself to in the deepest part of your being. Love is much more of a commitment than it is an emotion. Okay? Surely love has deep, uh, powerful emotions which are tied to it. But it is not by nature an emotion. Okay? It is by nature an act of the will. It is by nature a choice. And I use the example of a of an arranged marriage. How is it that people could, could have an arranged marriage and live their whole life in loving devotion to one another? How can they do that? They didn't walk down the street and find her and all of a sudden they're infatuated and they fell in love and now they uh, walk off into the sunset and lived happily ever after? That's not how that happened. Their dad went out and found them a bride. <laughs> right? And said, that's going to be the one. So how can they do that thing? Well, here's how they do that thing. Love is a commitment. It's an action. It's something that you do by your will. And I was using the example also in the counseling office. People will come in and they say, well, I don't love her anymore. Right? To which the faithful pastor will answer, you sinner, when will you repent? Right? Because, you see, what he's really trying to say is, I'm not infatuated anymore. I'm not getting that love and feeling anymore. Right? What he's saying is, I, my needs aren't being met anymore. My desires aren't being fulfilled anymore. You see that? What he needs is a re-education about what love is. What love is, is a commitment of the will to have a selfless, sacrificial, gentle, loving, sincere, gracious, godly kind of love for that spouse. And as we said also last week, the wife is called to this same love. Right? And we'll, we'll get to that. But <clears throat> specifically the husband, twice in this passage, is called to love his wife just as Christ also loved the church. And so that's what we've been discussing. We've been expounding on that. And that love that Christ has for his church, make no mistake about it, is a choice that he has made. And it is a commitment that he has to the church. And so the scripture says, right, in Ephesians, I'm sorry, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, it says that... um, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails, the scripture says. It is unfailing. And the love of Christ, the commitment of Christ to his church is unfailing, right? As a matter of fact, if you read in NIV, in the Old Testament, 
there, that term is used many times. It's called the unfailing love of God, right? In other places, in the other translations, it's called the loving kindness of God, right? I believe it's the Hebrew word kesed, okay? And it speaks of this commitment of, that God has, which is unfailing. It is an unfailing love. This, the scripture says, a man desires unfailing love. And lastly, last week, we talked about the fact that a husband should not be embittered against his wife. And the idea here with being embittered against his wife is to hold inwardly a grudge or a resentment. Because that grudge and that resentment is a destructive seed in the heart of that husband. And I was talking about just consider how many times Christ has forgiven you as a husband. And consider how patient Christ has been to you over and over and over and over as you have been sanctified in him. And how you're growing and learning how to act and live and behave like he does. And how many times you've failed. And how many times he just keeps coming and loving and restoring you and filling you with his divine grace and love. And so it is a husband is not to be embittered against his wife. He cannot hold an inner resentment or grudge or bitterness. For that bitterness will surely grow up and manifest itself. Amen? Of course, this this is a, a basic Christian virtue, right? That we're to walk in forgiveness. We cannot walk in bitterness. Right? The fruit of bitterness is awful. So there must be forgiveness. There must be a willingness to sacrifice at that level where we're no longer willing to hold on to offenses, right? But that we are truly willing to forgive, right? And as the scripture says, whatever offense you may have against anyone, he says, forgive even as the Lord has forgiven you. Amen? Colossians 3.13, right? Okay. So with that, we'll look then at verse 26 and 27. And, and, and so here's how it reads, starting in 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. And so here we get the reason why um, Christ is loving his church. And that is expressed when it says the word that at the very beginning of verse 26. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, that he might sanctify her. Why is it that Christ loves his church? He will stop at nothing to make us holy, even give his own flesh for crucifixion, if it will purify us. And all of this, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. You see, Christ loves his church in order to sanctify her. Think about what was the motivating factor in Christ when he went to the cross. 
You see, the cross is in the background of this whole passage. How is it that he loved his wife? He gave himself up for her. What is that referring to? The cross. The, cru- the crucifixion. He gave up his own life. Why? In order to sanctify her. In order to make her holy. In order to cleanse her from her sin. To make her pure and spotless, without wrinkle, without any such blemish. How then is a husband to love his wife? With a sanctifying love. With a love that seeks her purity even as Christ is motivated for his church. Amen? You see that? He even says um, here, but that she should be holy and blameless. Right? Holy. The word holy is the word which speaks of being separate from sin. Sinless. Right? And just so that we don't get that mixed up, what does he add to it? blameless, without fault is the idea, without blame, unblameable. Amen? Of course, we've talked about this at great length when we were discussing last year, when we were discussing the first three chapters of Ephesians. And we were talking about all that we are in Christ and all that Christ has done for us. And what is that position that we have in Christ, right? We'll go back to chapter 1, verse 4. What does it say? It says, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be what? Holy and blameless before Him. And you see, that's our position in Christ. In Christ, all of our sins have been washed away. In Christ, we've been perfectly reconciled to a holy God. How is that? He has made us holy. He has sanctified us forever, it says in Hebrews 10.14. Right? And so there is this very real sense and this flavor, if you will, that a husband's love is supposed to have for his wife. It's a sanctifying love. It's a love that seeks to cleanse her. Now, A husband is to seek the holiness of his wife at all costs. And why? Because that is the example that was given us of Christ. More than that, that she might be in all her glory, for she is a fellow heir of the grace of life. Consider this, husband, that you are the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, and that you bear the responsibility in that marriage for the holiness of your wife. And here the scripture is calling you to give yourself for her holiness, to give up yourself just as Christ gave up himself for his church, that he might sanctify her. The scripture is saying this to husbands. Husbands, give up yourself in order to sanctify your wife. Give your life and give your death that your wife would be holy. That's what the scripture is saying to the husband. Would you agree? Is that rather clear? Amen? And, you know, we need to stop. We need to consider what God is really saying here. It's a very profound thing. Imagine what the marriages in America would be like if husbands would just begin to love like this. Imagine the profound impact it would have on the world 
if husbands would just love as Christ loved the church. Amen? Of course, it's never going to happen in the world. And let me tell you, it scarcely happens in the church. And as I read and I study through this, I'm convicted again and again and again. Right? But I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit is in me. And I'm hungry and I'm thirsty for this kind of love. And I, and I, deep down inside me, I want to love my wife like this. With everything that is within me, I want to learn to love my wife as Christ loved the church. Amen? God help us. God help us to do this. But here we are examining the love of Christ, and this love is motivated that he might sanctify her. Any godly man has a great desire for his wife to be holy and pure. He seeks the holiness of his wife and marriage, even as he seeks the holiness of himself. It is his highest goal in glorifying God. How many of you are familiar with the catechism and the first question, right? What does the catechism say? What is the chief end of man, right? Answer? Right. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Why is it that man was created? To glorify God and to enjoy God. Right? And so as a, as a Christian, what is the chief goal of your life? Well, here's what it should be. To glorify God and to enjoy him. Right? And in glorifying God as a Christian husband, what higher purpose could you have? except that that one flesh union that you have with your wife should be holy and sanctified before God. Amen? We've probably scarcely heard these things. They've hardly fallen on our ears. What is the goal of your marriage? As it's defined in the Bible. Scott? Amen. And, and it's, it's kind of like uh, this is a very real and, and profound mystery that Paul is describing as he tells us, right? But what you're saying, Scott, and I'm with you, brother. I'm tracking right with you. As you become obedient to this love and you, and you actually experience it through your willing sacrifice to God, there is a progressive revelation that takes place in understanding this mystery of Christ in the church. What happens is as you experience this kind of love and the, and the tremendous sanctifying power it has on your marriage and on your wife, there is an experience of the understanding of these truths that comes and seats itself in the understanding and, and in the heart. Mm-hmm. And what a, what a beautiful picture God has chosen to give of that. And it is of marriage. I mean, consider if a marriage was from its inception to be lived out in this manner as God has designed it. I mean, imagine a world without sin, right? Where a husband loves his wife and and a wife respects her husband. And there is that God-ordained order that's in that marriage. 
And that love from that husband is absolutely pure and protecting and purifying and gracious and sacrificial. And that wife is just there to just relish in the love of her husband and to affirm his loving leadership, right? Imagine what that would really look like in its practice, in its, in its experience. It's a glorious, beautiful thing, right? And how the two shall become one flesh, right? And they become then a picture of Christ and his holy people, the church. Amen? Well, as uh, the scripture says, this is a profound mystery, right? It's really interesting to see some of the Bible commentators talking about that. And I, I was reading John Calvin this morning, and he was, he was saying, uh, let us not to profess to be so wise as to understand this mystery which the scripture says is great. Right? And he was just talking about how great the mystery is. And even though you sit and ponder and pray and study and, and obey, <laughs> how yet the mystery just seems to be more and more profound. The deeper you look, the deeper the water gets. Amen? So it is with the Christ-Church relationship. So then, the love of Christ here, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water through the word, right, is a purifying love. The love that Christ has for his church is a purifying love. Now consider how that applies to you as a husband. Right? Christ's love is a righteous love. It is a love which is in right standing with God. It is a love that is properly motivated. It is a love which is holy which is sanctified, which is cleansed, right? It's not dirty. It's not evil. But it's pure. It's holy. It's acceptable and approved by God. Amen? It is a purifying love. It always seeks the holiness of its objects, for holiness is the very essence of his character and his great desire for his beloved. Consider the love that Christ has for his church. How pure is it? And what does it mean that the love of Christ for his church is pure? And how should that apply to you as a husband? Here's how it should apply. That you should desire her holiness. That by your love you should sanctify her and make her holy. Right? That's how. Look at how Christ practically made the church holy through the demonstration of his love. Amen? That's how it should impact you. That's how it should influence you. This love of God is a purifying love that he has for his people. Husbands should have a holy zeal to purify their wives and families. This, for the husband, is a relentless pursuit. This, for the husband, is a relentless pursuit. Think, when is it that Christ gives up and stops seeking to sanctify his bride? (coughs) Right? Never. How do we know that? We know it by the spirit that he gave us. Right? And the spirit of God is in us. And how long will he be there? Forever. World without end. Amen? 
And so you see the heart of Christ seeking to purify his bride. He has sent the Holy Spirit for that very purpose, that you might be made holy even as he is holy. And that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the saint. It is to make them holy. It is to cleanse them and wash them. And through the trials and tribulations of your life, the Holy Spirit is there molding you and shaping you and sanctifying you and making you holy, the scripture says, even as you already are in Christ in the heavenly places. Right? He's making you practically holy. Remember how when we were looking at Ephesians, the context of the book, the first three chapters says, in Christ, you're holy, you're blameless, you're seated in heavenly places with him. Right? But in chapters 4 through 6, now here's how you must live. Here's what you must do because you are holy, because you are blameless. Right? Consider Christ's desire to purify his church. Just giving us Ephesians chapter 4 through 6. Consider his relentless pursuit for our holiness in in all that he has said to us. Consider his marvelous words. Amen? So if Christ speaks these kinds of holy words to us, the church, seeking to sanctify us, what does that say about the kind of words that a husband should be speaking to his wife? Amen? You see how many examples there is? in Christ, in the church, and in the marriage relationship. It's huge. It's massive. It's glorious. It's beautiful. This, for the husband, is a relentless pursuit. Husband, don't you ever lay down your guard. Don't you ever lay down your zeal to sanctify and make your wife holy until you have presented her to yourself in all of her glory. Love her with a gentle, kind, gracious, sincere love so that she might relish in your love and enjoy it to the fullest. Amen? It's amazing. It's amazing to consider. I'm reminded of Galatians 4.19, which I, I put there on your handout, where Paul is speaking about the Galatian church, and he says, My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. You see the heart of the apostle for the Galatian church? He says, I'm in the pains of labor. For what, Paul? Until Christ be formed in you, the church. Until you, the church, will begin to take on the character and the nature of Christ Jesus himself. Till you will be loving and gracious and kind and joyful and patient and meek and gentle and faithful and full of self-control and goodness and virtue. Amen? What's Paul in labor for? Seeking for Christ to be formed in the church. Why did Jesus love his church and give himself up for her? that he might sanctify her, that she might be holy and blameless, that she might be an example of how the church loves Christ. Amen? God help us. The love of Christ is also a protecting love. It is a protecting love. Jesus has given us the greatest protection of all, 
the hope of eternal life. You know, when they talk about the armor of God later on, when Paul talks about the armor of God in Ephesians 6, what does he say about the helmet? It's the helmet of salvation, right? And what in battle, what is a helmet for? Protects your head. Why? (laughs) Right. You get bopped on the head and you lose all your faculties, right? So you see this chief characteristic of the helmet of salvation, right? Well, consider then what the salvation of Christ for his church is for her in the sense of protecting her, right? How how will you defeat me, O man? Right? Why? Because the day I die, I pass into glory and meet the king. Amen? And that's why Jesus said, fear not them who kill the body. Right? But fear him who has the power to throw both body and soul into hell. Right? Look, once you've got it worked out with Almighty God, whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? Right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. God is with me. Amen? How shall I lose? For he is my what? My strength, the scripture says, and the hope of my salvation. Right? Think about the love of Christ in protecting his church. What shall separate us, Romans says, from the love of Christ? Shall sword or nakedness or famine or tribulation or angels or demons or principalities or powers? He asked the question, who shall separate us from the love of God? Right? Answer? None. Right? Think of how Christ's love for his church is a love that has secured her eternal protection. How much more then? Or how then also should a husband's love to his wife be a love which is protecting you know, and not just in a physical sense. Okay, I understand. Yeah, of course. A husband ought to protect his wife physically, right? From harm, from evildoers, from thieves, right? From vandals. A husband should protect his wife physically. But what about spiritually? And what about this holy zeal, which is to be in the heart of the husband seeking to sanctify his wife? Let me ask you, husband, do you give a rip? What your wife reads, what she looks at, what she thinks about, what she casts her eyes on. Think about it. Christ desires to sanctify his church. So what does he do? He takes her down here to the R-rated movie. And what do they do? Well, they sit and they watch murder and adultery and thievery and all kinds of wicked things. Right? No. Christ doesn't do that with his church, does he? And, you know, look, I'm giving you an example of what it might mean that you as a husband are seeking to sanctify your wife and that you would have a holy zeal, that she might be holy. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not trying to make any legalistic rules for you. I'm trying to get you to think about what it must mean that Christ's heart for his bride is that she would be holy and without blame. 
that she would be clean and pure and holy. Amen? I hope that's convicting. Greg? Amen. And I mean, really, the the desire for the husband should really be the inward character and the nature of the thoughts and intentions of her heart. Not just right, not just outwardly what she does, but inwardly what she is. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Christ wants us to be holy and pure inside our heart. Right. And, and this the husband should be diligently and relentlessly pursuing in the life of his marriage and of his family. He should be seeking the holiness of his wife. He should be seeking the holiness of his family. Right? I tell you, that will revolutionize the way you live. If you really stop and consider it. Stop and consider what's being said here. How should a husband love his wife? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. Right? So that she that he might present himself to her. What? The church in all of her glory. How is she in her glory? She is without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she should be what? Holy, without sin, and blameless, without fault. Amen? And above all things, we ought to be seeking that in her heart. Right? How's this ever going to happen if we husbands aren't doing it by example in our own living? And how are you ever going to do that apart from the divine empowerment of the Holy Spirit? You with me? High and a holy calling, isn't it? Amen? It's a mouthful that the scripture says just in two short verses. Would you agree? God help us. This love that Christ has for his church is protecting. He has secured for us an eternal salvation. Indeed, we are in for an eternity of blessing and fulfillment. Think about this. Think about what Christ has wrought for the church in terms of her physical well-being for the rest of eternity. A big white house on the hill with a front 40 and a back 40, right? And a wine press and a vineyard and a whole, on the back 40, you got, you know, cows and dogs and sheep and goats and the whole thing, right? Listen, doesn't even begin to compare. These are just talking about the physical benefits that Christ has secured for his church for eternity. She'll have everything she ever needs. 
and she will never ever be in lack of anything at all. But her belly will be full and she will lie down and rest. Amen? You see that? Consider the love of Christ for his church and what he has purchased for her forever. Eye has not seen, the scripture said. Ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man what God has prepared for those who love him. Amen? Think that Christ has already secured these things for his church. What are you working for? I hope you're working as a husband to seek and procure the well-being of your wife. Because that's the example of divine love we have in Christ. Amen? Wives should feel secure in the love of their husbands. Husbands, it is your responsibility to be sure your wife has a sanctuary in your love. She must know that she is loved unconditionally and accepted by you at all times. You must communicate your love and affection to your wife. Amen? I want to ask you a question. Has Christ communicated his love to his wife, the church? Yes. Perfectly. Amen? Does, does the church find herself secure in the love of Christ? She does. Amen? Then shouldn't also the wife find security in the love that comes from her husband? Amen? Consider what your relationship, your marriage relationship looks like. And consider as a husband how you cause your wife to feel secure in your love. How? By having a sincere, genuine, and pure love in your heart and then communicating it to her. How? Practically. Through the way you live your life. Through the words that come out of your mouth. Right? And if, if you'll use this as a guide, the love of Christ is sacrificial. It's gracious. It's patient. It's kind. This is the way you treat your wife with grace with patience, with kindness, with gentleness, with sincere and serving love. Serve her. Show her that you love her. Manifest your love to her by acts of kindness, by forbearing, forgiving, gracious love. And listen, she'll be secure in your love. And not only that, she'll relish in it. She will relish in it and she will affirm your loving leadership and your marriage will be a picture of what Christ and the church is supposed to look like. Amen? That's what's being communicated to us here, family. Listen to how Jesus speaks to his church, Matthew 11. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Does that sound like the way you speak to your wife? Does that sound like the, the heart that you express towards your wife? Wife, come to me if you're weary and you're heavy, and I will give you rest. Does that express the sincere desire and genuine love that you have in your heart for your wife? 
Is it a love that seeks to remove the burden from her back that she might find rest? Amen? Can you see that in the love of Christ? Can you? It's there. Listen to him. Listen to these marvelous words. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. I want to know. Since your wife got yoked up with you. Has the light, the load been light? Or has it been a burden she can hardly carry? You with me? That speaks of the love of Christ for his church. Husbands, read these words of Christ and see his heart for his bride. Right? If your burden ain't light, it ain't right. (laughs) Amen? And listen, if your wife, if her burden ain't light, it ain't right. Okay? Brothers, you can do this. You can do this. Let me tell you how you can do this. Get on your knees. Acknowledge your utter sinfulness before holy God and cry out to him for his strength. And cry out to him for his divine love to live inside your heart so that your sincere desire for your wife looks like this heart of Christ for his church. Ask him to give it to you. Listen, he's your God. He delights in doing this for you. But you must be willing. Amen? You got to be willing even at this point to give up your life and lay it down and deny yourself and what? Take up your cross and follow Christ and what? Lose your life for his sake that you might find it. Amen? And the fulfillment, the fulfillment that comes to a husband who loves his wife like this. Let me tell you, there are no words to describe it. I was telling you last week that I think I love my wife. I know I love my wife more now than I ever have as long as we've been married, which is about 20 years now. And I consider that whole thing. And what I used to think marriage was all about, maybe when I first got married, and how I've grown in my knowledge and in my understanding. And then, then as I see God changing the kind of love that we have in our marriage and teaching me how to practically love my wife, the, the fulfillment that comes from marriage, there, there are hardly words to describe it. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've experienced it. And and what I'm trying to tell you is, you can do this. A husband can love his wife like this if he will look to God for the strength. If he will look to God to give him that sincere and divine love inside his heart for his wife. You know, if inside your heart you're always grumbling and complaining about the things you don't like about your wife, and you're always saying, I wish she was like this, and I wish she was like and I wish she wouldn't do that, and I wish she wouldn't do that... You know, if that's the way you look at your wife, it's no wonder there's a little fulfillment in your marriage. Okay? You've got to take up your cross, the instrument of your own death. You've got to deny yourself. 
put the old man to death and put on Christ who loves his wife like we've been describing. Okay? And then out of that is the wellspring of fulfillment in marriage. It really can be something glorious and heavenly. Would God design it any other way? I mean, if we did it right, wouldn't it be the most glorious thing we've ever experienced? Surely it would and can be and is for many of you at some level or degree. Amen? God help us. God help us to, to be what Christ has called us to be. But look what he says here. He says that, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now what are we talking about? Now we're talking about that sanctifying effect that the truth of God's word has had on his church. Amen? Consider then the role that that plays in your marriage as a husband in sanctifying your wife. Right? You may be familiar with those words that Jesus said to his church, and I think it's in John 15, where he says, you're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Right? I think maybe it's John 13. Peter says, no, Lord, not my feet. Wash my whole body. Right? Jesus says, you're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Right? Consider the sanctifying effect of the truth of God's word on his church. In John 17, he's praying. And he says, Father... Sanctify them by your truth. Right? Consider how the word of God has made the church holy down through the ages. And how every time you read it, it has a profound impact, changing you from glory to glory. And you're becoming more and more like Christ as you take on the word and as you think like the word thinks and as you act like the word says you're to act and as you live and walk in that love which the word puts forth, how you're being sanctified and cleansed and made holy even as Christ is holy. Consider how the truth of God's word has a sanctifying effect upon you. And then, husbands, consider what that means to your marriage. Right? It's rather plain, I would say. How does a husband purify his wife? Well, he being the head and spiritual leader in his home, continually holds the word out before her, purifying his own life in order to lead her by example. He keeps bringing the word before her that she might be transformed by the renewing of her mind. Right? What is it that Jesus does with the church? He keeps bringing the word forth continually and constantly. And the word has this sanctifying effect. But you see, he does this as the church's head, as the church's leader, right? Think about this. Shame on the husband whose wife must be the spiritual leader. You with me? That's not the way that Christ loves. That's a perversion of roles. Would you agree? For the wife is not the head of the husband, 
But the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. That's where the, the relationship and the marriage finds its proper order. And that's where the blessing of God flows from. Each part doing its own work in love, right? Right? Listen, the husband has got to be the spiritual leader in the home. Not, not just the spiritual leader, the leader. The actual head of the church, right? Understand? Christ is the head. He is the leader of the church. Where his eyes look, that's where the church walks, right? What his mind commands the members to do, that's what they do. Listen, a husband has to take that spiritual leadership, which is his in Christ, and he has to put it into effect. And it's not a lording over. I mean, look, look at the love we've been describing. It's sacrificial. It's gentle. It's loving. It's gracious. It's kind. It's patient. The last thing it is, is lording over with some kind of arrogance. Amen? You with me? And so a husband needs to, 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 uh, to uh, uh, live out this leadership role in the loving character of Christ. And listen, the wife must affirm his loving leadership. That's what the scripture means when it says, Wives, submit ye therefore to your husbands as to the Lord in everything. Right? When we do it right, the husband is exercising his leadership role with loving, gracious, kind, sacrificial leadership. And the wife is affirming that leadership by her ready submission and relishing in his love. Amen? The husband needs to be the spiritual leader in this sense. Look, if you want your wife to be sanctified, give her the word of God. That's what will sanctify her. Make the word of God the chief thing in your home. Amen? What does that mean? Well, that means when you lie down, when you sit down, when you get up, and when you walk along the way, right? Write it on your gates. Write it on your doors. It shall be as what? Frontlets before your eyes, and you shall what? Bind it on your wrist. Right? The Word of God is to permeate everything in our Christian life. That is, if we're really Christians. Right? If we're of Christ, Jesus, the living Word, the bread of life that came down from heaven. Right? Our daily manna is Christ, the living word. And as a husband, if you're going to take that role of, of spiritual leadership, listen, the word of God has got to be central. I mean, it's got to be the subject at the breakfast table. It's got to be the subject when somebody in the family dies, the family gets on the knees and we pray and we seek God for comfort and strength, right? When we're facing trial and hardship, what do we do? We go to the word of God and we say, look, family, what God says, this is how we do that. And when the kids are being disobedient, we bring them up in what? The fear and instruction of the Lord, right? And we exercise that family out of the overflow of the understanding of the word of God that he's given us. Amen. Husbands have got to take this role and implement this. How? Why? Because Christ has cleansed his bride by the washing of the water through the word. That's why. Because he's seeking to sanctify her and make her holy and blameless in the sight of God. 
of whom this word is. This is his word. Amen? This is what's going to sanctify us. This is what's going to make us holy. It's got, to, it's got to come and live in our understanding. How's that going to happen? Well, it's not going to happen if you ignore it and leave it on a shelf. You with me? It's only going to happen if we implement it. Husbands, this is your role, being that head of the wife. How about this? Prayer and scripture reading should be a regular practice in the home at the husband's lead. Should be a regular practice in the home at the husband's lead. How will a husband purify his wife? Regular prayer and regular Bible study. Right? And we use the word study. Really what we mean is meditation. We mean read the word and consider it. Ponder it. Think about how you will apply it. Let it become the pattern that that you think with. Amen? Take on the mind of Christ by the revelation of his word. And then consider this. Christ fulfills these three offices to his church. He is prophet, priest, and king. And so then also is the husband in his own home. The husband in his own home is prophet, priest, and king. You know, we talk about this a lot in the church. I've often heard teachings about how a man is to be a priest in his home. And I fully agree and affirm that. But I also want to say that Christ is more than just a priest to us. He is a prophet. He is our king. Right? And, and of course, you know, if you're familiar with the study of Christ, Christology, we call it, right? He has these three offices in the church. And they categorize all of his work in the church. Prophet, priest, and king. So a husband also then is therefore to be to his home, to his family. Christ fills these three offices to the church. And so therefore a husband, a father ought to fulfill these offices in his home. The prophet here, the prophet sees, hears, and speaks the word of God. You ever familiar with that little passage in the, in, uh, I think it's in first Samuel on, uh, the prophets come by and Saul is with them, right? And somebody looks over there and says, is Saul among the prophets? Are you familiar with that passage of scripture? Well, how is it that they knew these people were prophets? Have you ever considered that? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> the prophets, if you were, were a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> they... Here's the the way the prophets were. They were so consecrated to God. I don't mean to use such a worldly, earthly term, but (laughs) that they were strange to the people. They were off in their commune over there doing that thing the prophets do. What is that? Consecrating themselves to God and meditating on the word of God and taking in the word of God so much that everywhere they went, it was burning in their bones like a fire. Right? You're familiar with the prophets, right? Like Ezekiel, right? Lays on his side for 430 days because he's prophesying to Israel about the 430-day prophecy, right? Then he rolls over on the other side and does it for another, what, 87 or something like that? I'm sure my numbers are wrong. Isaiah, walking around the temple naked for three years. Are you familiar with that? Did you read right by that part? Isaiah was a strange man in the sight of God's people. Why? 
Because the word of God was burning in him like a fire. And everywhere he went, he was speaking the word of God to the people of God, seeking to cleanse them and turn their hearts and their minds to the thoughts of God. He travailed. Right? You know, the prophets, these are the people that were persecuted by the people of God. Isaiah was sawn in two. Jeremiah was thrown in a well. Right? Was it Zechariah we were discussing the other day was killed between the altar and the, and the, uh, and the, and the uh, laver. Right? Why would they kill the prophets? Because they kept confronting the people of God with the Holy One of Israel. What does it mean? That a husband ought to be like Christ in his marriage and in his home and exercise that office of a prophet. I want to tell you this. It means that the husband should have a holy zeal a holy zeal for the sanctification of his wife and family. And when something is going on that is offensive to God, the husband should be offended with God. Amen? Are you understanding? That's what it means that Christ is a prophet. Read his words to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, and you'll get the flavor that comes out of the mouth of a prophet. Right? But basically, the, the idea is, is that the prophet sees, he sees the word of God. There is a perception of God's truth. He hears it, right? There's an understanding of it. And, and he, his ear is trained to hear what God says, right? And then the prophet speaks the word of God. The gift of prophecy in the New Testament is to do what? To speak the word of God. Right? And this is what the prophets did. The very words they spoke were the very words of God. Amen? Have we scarcely heard these things? How long have we been Christians? How long have we been reading this Bible? You with me? A husband, a father is to be a prophet in his home. He's also a priest. He's one who mediates between God and the family. You know, I get that picture of Job. You remember the first chapter of Job, right? And God is bragging on Job. And he says, Job is the most righteous and blameless man in all of the land, right? And then it starts going into the life of Job. And what, are you, what is it that you see Job doing when, it, when we look at the life of Job? Yeah. He's being a priest by making sacrifices for the life of his children for their sins every day. It says every day Job would go, or maybe it was once a week, I forget. Job would go and he would make sacrifices to the Lord. And he would pray, oh God, if my children have sinned, oh God, forgive their sins. Right? And you see that godly father, Job, mediating between God and his family. And pleading with God for mercy upon his family who is sinners. Amen? Job was a priest in his home. And then also the kingly office of Christ. Consider, the king rules the home through servant leadership and loving kindness. Not in the sinful human character, but in the gracious character of Christ. And here is the idea of leadership. 
That husband is to be like a king in that home. Remember how I was telling you, you ought to be treating your wife like a royal queen because that's what she is, right? Because the bride of Christ is what? The royal queen of all royal queens, right? And she ought to be treated accordingly. Well, how much more? If she's a royal queen, what are you? May I suggest a king? The son of a king, a prince, amen? And a husband ought to live worthy of that calling. He ought to manifest that character of Christ, which is willing to assert his leadership, which in a very godly and loving, gracious way is willing to assert that leadership in the home, even as Christ does in his church. Amen? These are our responsibilities, husband, if we're going to be like Christ. These are the kinds of things that characterize the love of Christ for his church. And that's what the Bible means when it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Okay? How do we love the church? How do we love our wife? Just as Christ loved the church. Amen? Okay, with that, we'll go ahead and, and knock off. And then next week, um, we're going to be speaking uh, about verses 27 through verse 30. And I'm going to add some practical things, and I want you to consider this. You know, there are a lot of things that are needful in marriage that the Bible does not necessarily specifically address. And a lot of these have to do with the differences, the, the emotional and, and uh, spiritual differences of a man and a woman. Okay? And I'm going to talk about that. And I, I think that husbands really need to kind of understand the differences between a man and a woman. I, I recommended a book a few weeks ago called Different by Design. And it talks about how God has designed man and woman differently. How many of you realize that? Yeah. And, and so what, what winds up happening with that then is there's a whole different set of needs. A woman, a wife, has a different set of needs than a husband has. And husbands are frequently ignorant of those. And a husband has a whole different set of needs than a wife. And the wife is typically ignorant of those. Okay, and so I want to try and educate you a little bit as to what those needs are and what they look like. And if you will, they're on your handouts. If you want to go ahead and read forward, you can see some of the things we'll be talking about. But I'm also would like to get some of your input when we get to that section of the lesson. If you look at it, it's on page uh, 50. And there we're talking about uh, meeting a woman's emotional needs. You need a challenge bigger than Mount Everest? I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Um, <clears throat> but I, I'd like to get some input from the class on these things because, if you will, um, we're not really getting outside of the bounds of Scripture, but we're talking about some very specific things in marriage that the Scripture does not necessarily address specifically but by principle instead. Okay? Um, with that, I'm going to pray, and then please don't get up because we're going to make an announcement here right at the end of class, okay? 
God, our Father, we do praise you and honor you. We thank you, Lord, for your rich word. We thank you, Lord, for the holy example of your gracious love to us, the church. We pray, O God, that you would grant this love to us as husbands and strengthen us, dear Lord, to fulfill this kind of love in our marriage and in our homes. Lord, we do desire to be like you in all of your beauty, in all of your character and nature. Lord, we ask that you would make us husbands like you and help us to love our wives with this divine love. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.